Welcome back, everybody, to episode four of the Voice of Reason podcast. This is your host, the Voice of Reason, Owen Reese. Uh, and today we're kind of going to go over a full draft recap, look at some of the undrafted free agents that the Packers have signed, as well as some things that we learned or picked up uh, kind of reading between the lines after uh, the draft has been completed and just taking a look at the overall picture here of the Green Bay Packers after the NFL draft. So quickly, I didn't do a day three recap. I figured we could take care of all of it today. So we'll just go back through quickly and look at the draft. Obviously, in the first round, the Packers took Jordan Love, the quarterback out of Utah State, trading up with the Miami Dolphins uh, to take Love, prospectively taking him uh, before the Indianapolis Colts are the rumored team that was looking to trade up. They had been connected with Love potentially at pick 13 prior to uh, trading that pick for DeForest Buckner uh, from the San Francisco 49ers. So love in the first round. In the second round, they take A.J. Dillon, the running back out of Boston College, six foot, 247 pounds, ran a 4.53 and had a 41-inch vertical at that size. It's pretty remarkable athletically. In the third round, at pick 94, they took Josiah DeGuara, a tight end or H-back player from Cincinnati. He was down at the Senior Bowl. He's a good blocker. He's athletic. He's a good enough receiver. Uh, was a pretty decent tight end in college and will be respectable enough as a, a receiving threat in the NFL. In the fifth round, uh, they didn't have a fourth-round pick. They used that fourth-rounder to, to move up to 26 to take Love. In the fifth round, they took Kamal Martin, a linebacker out of Minnesota. Had quite a bit of production there. Uh, was their 30-leading tackler this past season. Uh, was going to be a senior bowl guy but got hurt. Uh, and he's a guy that has a pretty good all-around skill set as a linebacker. Uh, will probably primarily play special teams early in his Packers tenure. In the sixth round, they took three straight offensive linemen, uh, which you won't hear me complain about. But in the sixth round, at pick 192, they took John Runyon Jr., an offensive tackle from Michigan. He'll play guard or center for the Packers. I really liked this pick. He was a player that I had suspected the Packers would be very interested in, given their history of liking athletic offensive linemen and drafting tackles from college and moving them elsewhere. They've had a pretty remarkable run of doing that, uh, having only drafted two non-college tackles since 2005. However, that would change with the next two picks. At pick 208 in the sixth round, they took Jake Hansen, the center from Oregon. And at pick 209 in back-to-back picks, they took Simon Stepaniak, an offensive guard from the University of Indiana. Uh, I haven't watched either of them very, uh, very much or very... Uh, in a detailed lens, uh, although I can tell you Hanson was a part of a very good offensive line at Oregon, and Stepaniak, a very, very strong player, uh, was a part of Bruce Feldman's freak list uh, before the 2019 college football season. He's a very strong interior lineman. I look forward to watching those guys here quickly. In the seventh round, the Packers had two picks. At pick 236, they selected Vernon Scott, a 6'2", 206-pound defensive back from Texas Christian. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I know nothing about him. Um, so that's another player that I'm looking to learn about. And then at 242, they took Jonathan Garvin, a defensive end or a pass rusher from the University of Miami. He's 6'4", 263 pounds, pretty good athlete. He's only 20 years old. He's a guy that I think is a big piece of clay uh, for Mike Pettin and Mike Smith, the outside linebackers coach, to mold. I think he's a guy that has a chance to probably make the roster as a seventh-round pick, which doesn't happen very often. So let's take a look here at the undrafted free agents quickly. They signed 14 of them. Uh, the first one is a quarterback out of Prairie View A&M University. It's a historically black FCS university uh, out of Texas. 
They signed two players from there. The first is a quarterback, Jalen Morton. He's six foot three and 235 pounds, more of a dual threat quarterback. Uh, only 59% completion percentage this past year with 15 touchdowns to 10 picks. But he did run for 545 yards, uh, which I think is is noteworthy. Um, it kind of gives you a bigger picture of his style of a player. More of a developmental player at this point. I don't think he has much of a chance to make the roster. But I'll be interested to see how he performs in uh, training camp as well as the preseason. They signed a running back from Memphis, Patrick Taylor Jr. He's a big dude. He's a power back. He's like six foot two and a half and 220 to 230 pounds, and he's a big dude. Uh, doesn't look like a supernatural runner or not a very elusive player. More of a downhill inside zone, be between the tackles and, and kind of lower his head. He's a big guy. He is pretty athletic as well, so I think there's some potential there. Uh, Packers kind of maybe looking at a bit of a different mold of running back than, than maybe we thought they have in the past. The next is another H-back tight end type player in Jordan Jones, the other Prairie View A&M player. He's six foot one and 250 pounds. This past season had 29 catches for 500 yards uh, and four touchdowns, or almost 500 yards and uh, four touchdowns. Can be more of a another player like Josiah Dewar, really a, a move tight end, uh, fullback, H-back, uh, as well as a depth player at tight end. They signed a wide receiver from Michigan State, Daryl Stewart who is six foot, 210 pounds, and he had 49 catches for 697 yards and four touchdowns this past season. Also had a strong year in 2018. Uh, quarterback play has been a bit up and down at Michigan State the past couple years, so I'm interested to take a look at Stewart and see uh, how he is as a player. They signed two offensive linemen. Uh, first, they signed was an offensive lineman from Texas Tech, Travis Bruffy, who's 6'6", 305. I don't know much about him. Uh, and then Zach Johnson, from North Dakota State is a guard at 6'6", 310. Uh, seen a little bit more of Johnson. He was at the Shrine game uh, down in Florida. Uh, the North Dakota guys are always tough run blockers uh, and very technically sound. So looking to look a bit more into Johnson, but he may be a guy, along with those three rookies, can really compete for a roster spot or a practice squad spot heading into 2020. On defense, they signed eight players. Uh, two pass rushers, starting with Tipa Galea. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, from Utah State. He's 6'5", 235 pounds. He's a Texas Christian transfer. He had five sacks and nine tackles for loss this past season. I think he's a fairly similar athletic profile and size profile to Kyler Fackrell. So we'll have to be interested to take a look at him there as well. They also took Delonte Scott, a pass rusher out of Southern Methodist in Texas. He was 6'5", and 246 pounds. Uh, had a big season in 2019. Had 10 sacks and 18 tackles for loss for that Mustang team. I'll be very interested to take a look at him and see what he provides uh, as a skill set as a player. They signed one interior defensive lineman, Willington Prevalon from Rutgers. He's 6'5 and almost 300 pounds. He had three sacks this past season, uh, was a three-year starter for Rutgers, um, a team that really has put out some NFL, solid NFL prospects despite not being very successful as a team over the past few years. They signed a linebacker out of UCLA, Chris Burns, who's 6'2 and uh, 229 pounds. Uh, I actually have a, a buddy that works at UCLA. I reached out to him, and he said he's a perfect UDFA type. He's a bit stiff athletically, uh, wasn't a coverage liability in college, but doesn't project to be a plus coverage player in the NFL. Uh, Three-year starter, team captain, uh, led the team in tackles the past two years, had 72 tackles this year with four sacks and an interception. So he's a very smart player. He'll put himself in the right positions, uh, just doesn't know if athletically he has the upside to stick uh, with the Green Bay Packers. 
Now, moving to the defensive backs, this is where I think the Packers maybe made their most notable additions uh, in these undrafted free agents. First of all, we'll start with Stanford Samuel, uh, a corner from Florida State. He's 6'1 and 187 pounds. He's a former five-star recruit, was a big-time, big-time recruit heading into the uh, Florida State, started for the last three years there. Um, had two interceptions this past year, but had four in 2018 and a total of eight in his three-year career. Uh, ran a little slow at the combine. He was a 4.65. Uh, think Ladarius Gunter, uh, which might not be the most glowing recommendation or endorsement, uh, but Gunter's a guy who stuck around and was able to stick on the roster despite being a slower tester out of Miami. And he, during that 2016 playoff run, uh, was able to be the, the Packers' top cornerback, which is probably more of an indictment of the room rather than an endorsement of Gunter, but was able and willing and uh, did a good job considering what he was against Odell Beckham and Des Bryant before the wheels kind of fell off against Julio Jones in the NFC Championship game. So Samuels is a guy I think could make the roster. He's another big type of press corner like the Packers like to use. Again, he's never going to be a freak athlete at the NFL level, uh, but has that that five-star pedigree as a recruit, which always seems to buy guys' chances in the NFL, and he does fit the prototype for what the Packers look for in their corners, so it'll be interesting to see how he does uh, leading up to the season. They also brought in a corner safety, Will Sunderland, uh, who finished his college career at Troy, was a former four-star recruit at Oklahoma. He's 6'2 and 195 pounds, again, that same athletic, uh, physical profile. I know he had kind of cycled around Twitter over the past few weeks uh, leading up to the draft, had a really impressive pro day workout and had had a solid year at Troy um, this past season. He's another guy I think could be a sneaky uh, potential to stick on the end of the roster. Uh, with the Packers not re-signing Tremont Williams and not really going out and getting anybody in free agency in the defensive backfield, I think both Samuels and Sunderland both have opportunities to maybe even make the 55-man roster. They signed Mark Antoine Decoy, a uh, defensive back out of Montreal, who's 25 years old, but again is six foot two and 200 pounds and a very, very impressive athlete, the type of guy that the Packers have uh, shown an affinity for in the past. I have no information on him as a football player other than that he's 25 years old and plays defensive back. So he'll be a guy uh, that I'll be real interested to see whenever training camp or, or OTAs start back up, how he's able to perform. And then the last undrafted free agent they signed was Henry Black, a safety out of Baylor, who's six foot and 206 pounds. Uh, this past season had 62 tackles and an interception, had played both safety and linebacker for Baylor uh, while Matt Rule was the head coach there. So um, I think that's, that's a fairly decent group of undrafted free agents. Obviously, for what those are worth, uh, you certainly don't look to build your team off of undrafted free agents. But the more quality guys you can get in there on cheap deals, if they're able to make the roster or compete and push your guys that are on the roster, uh, that's a big-time benefit. So I think just to kind of wrap this up, what did we learn um, about this draft class, What about the Packers, and um, you know, kind of just some things moving forward into the offseason? heading into this uh, dead unknown period with the pandemic, with the COVID stuff going on. I think the first thing is that Green Bay thinks more highly of their wide receivers than the, the public does or than a lot of the media does. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that in this, this draft class that was tabbed as one of the most deep wide receiver classes in history uh, and for how many of them were drafted for the Packers to not come away with any, I think is a, a fairly... Uh, fairly pressing statement. I think there's two ways to look at it. One, that the Packers just were simply not willing to reach and not willing 
to uh, take a wide receiver for the sake of taking one uh, and kind of stuck to their board and, and took who was at the top of their board, who they thought gave the best value. Or the other way, too, is that they think more of their wide receivers than the public does. And truthfully, outside of Devontae Adams, they signed Devin Funchess. They've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who is still a young player, only entering his third season in the NFL. They've still got Equinemius St. Brown, who had a pretty solid rookie season uh, before he got hurt and missed all of last year. He's another guy. He's still fairly young. They're still looking to evaluate him. Uh, Jake Kumaro is there as well, along with Alan Lazard, who obviously came onto the scene a bit last year. So, I mean, the Packers have a bunch of young players that they aren't necessarily willing to throw out with the bathwater yet. So I think that's something that they obviously, they see these guys every day. Uh, the fans see these players 16 days a year. So they know more about these players than we do. I do think that's something that gets lost on us at times is that the fans think, well, you know, they knew what to do or they've got this idea. They play Madden and they, they had this scenario work out. The Green Bay Packers see these players a lot more than anyone else do, does, and they've got the, uh, the the correct evaluations or at least the most accurate evaluations of these guys. So I think that's something moving forward uh, that the Packers uh, do think more of their wide receivers than, than the public does. I think that means something. Another thing to look at is that the Packers, I don't believe uh, this draft went exactly how they wanted, and I think that they were looking to take wide receivers. I think it came out, Sports Illustrated's Peter King has come out that it look, at least in the second round, the Packers were looking to trade up to take, I would presume, Denzel Mims before the Jets ended up taking him a few picks before them. I think that's something that fans also take, kind of take for granted is that, well, why didn't they just trade up? A trade takes two partners, and it doesn't always work out. You're not always able to get exactly where you want to go. So with the Packers, they had wide receivers poached from them, I believe, in four or five rounds. And we'll go over those quickly. Uh, in the first round, the 49ers traded up from 31, which is obviously behind where the Packers were picking. And they traded up to take Brandon Ayuk, the wide receiver out of Arizona State. I believe the Packers were targeting him at 30. So after he came off the board, well, then Jordan Love is so high up on the board, they went and made that move. Uh, the second round, they missed out on Denzel Mims, as I just mentioned. I believe they were trying to trade up for him. He went four or five picks in front of them to the New York Jets. In the third round, Devin Duvernay went to the Baltimore Ravens. Right before they picked, they ended up with Josiah DeGuara. In the fifth round, this one's maybe a bit more of a stretch, but Darnell Mooney, the speedster from Tulane, went a few picks before them to the Chicago Bears. And then in the sixth round, the Cleveland Browns got Donovan Peoples-Jones a few picks before they picked John Runyon. And everything about Donovan Peoples-Jones screams Green Bay Packers from an athleticism standpoint and a skill set standpoint. So even in the sixth round, I think that they were still experiencing guys that they wanted going off the board shortly before them. I don't think this is how the Packers saw the draft working out, uh, but something to consider is that you don't get any redos. So you have to react on the fly and be able to, to make the best of situations that aren't always perfect, and I think that's what they attempted to do here, whether the fan base likes it or not. I think they did have intentions of taking wide receivers and simply were, were taken in front of them. If you want to fault them for not being aggressive enough, that, that might have some merit. But I think that they did have intentions of taking wide receivers and improving that room, uh, but didn't feel the need to take one for the sake of taking one and having faith with the guys they have on the roster. So as we take a look at kind of the, the undrafted free agents and the draft class as a whole, kind of able to see what they want to be, 
I think it's clear that the Packers want to become a more run-based offense for a few different reasons. Uh, one, I think that they want to take pressure off of Aaron Rodgers. I think as he's he'll turn 37 later this year, he's not the same physically as he was 10 years ago when he had the capability of putting the offense on his shoulders every single week. Uh, he, he hasn't. I don't think he has that ability anymore, and I think that the Packers want to take more pressure off of him I think that also, obviously, in Green Bay, they want to play deep into the playoffs, right? When the weather is cold, you need to be able to lean on the run game a little bit because the pass game isn't always as uh, doesn't have as much continuity or isn't always as smooth when the weather is cold, the ball gets slick, and then the hits hurt a bit more. I think that's something that the Packers are looking to to move maybe to a bit more of a defensive and run team, uh, not necessarily to to clip the wings of Aaron Rodgers, but I think just to, to take some pressure off of them and, and make their job a little bit easier. I think also something to keep in mind is that uh, running the ball and playing defense is a more sustainably successful way to win football games over the long period of time when you're not always positive that you're going to have a Hall of Famer at quarterback. And we've seen that in the past where uh, when, when Aaron Rodgers went down, we saw the seasons with Brent Hundley and we saw Matt Flynn and where the Packers' offense didn't seemingly try to change a ton despite a massive personnel change at quarterback, and I think that's something that, moving forward, I don't think the Packers want to have to depend on. And even with someone like Jordan Love, right? So they just took him in the first round. I don't think the Packers want to depend on him becoming a Hall of Fame player uh, to for this offense to succeed. I think they see a lot of promise in Jordan Love. Otherwise, they wouldn't have took him in the first round and traded up for him. But I do think that the Packers are probably more self-aware than anybody that the fact that they went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers so seamlessly and have had Hall of Fame quarterback play for the last 27 years isn't a sustainable thing. So I think they want to be able to build a consistently successful program uh, that's sustainable throughout the throughout the organization. I think that as well as when you consider the Packers uh, being in Green Bay, it's a smaller market. I mean, if you consider, and like, obviously we are biased as a fan base and right, like, yeah, it's Green Bay. Why wouldn't you want to come here? It's such a tradition filled organization and it's such a nice community, but to a player that doesn't have the connections to the, to the Wisconsin or Green Bay area, I, I can't really blame them for saying I'd rather live in Miami and play in Miami uh, from a lifestyle standpoint than you would uh, in, in Wisconsin or Green Bay. So without that, that, trump card of being able for like to sell a lifestyle to free agents necessarily the packers have to do things a little differently and they have to be able to try to lock up some positions uh premium positions through the draft in order to to have that uh control over their contract for four to five years and quarterback is one of those positions so i do think that that's something that they are trying to attempt to do is create a a sustainable successful consistent organization rather than going all in a couple years at a time, and then having to rebuild because it's much tougher to rebuild in a small market where you're unable to attract big-time free agents and you need to hit more consistently on draft picks and on lower-level free agent acquisitions, uh, which isn't always easy to do. So I do think that that's something to keep in mind. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you think it's the right thing or not, I think that's the market, Like that's the, the thought pattern that the Packers are using uh, with some of these picks. Uh, and then one last thing, they mentioned this uh, about Josiah DeGuara, obviously a fairly polarizing pick. Um, 
you know, Pro Football Focus's Mike Renner tweeted, the Packers really just took a fullback in the third round in 2020 because of the statements from Matt LaFleur that they want to use him uh, in a Kyle Juszczyk role like the 49ers use him. Now, I tweeted about this on uh, Saturday morning. I think there's a big disconnect from uh, fans looking at media mock drafts and media player projections and the 32 teams and their specific draft boards. So there are teams in the NFL that don't use fullbacks, right? So if they viewed Josiah DeGuara as a fullback, then he would not be valuable to them, uh, which makes sense. But Matt LaFleur, coming from the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree, Kyle Shanahan has the highest paid fullback in the NFL in Kyle Juszczyk and is used most advantageously of any fullback in the NFL. So someone like Josiah DeGuara, if they see qualities in him like they've seen in Kyle Juszczyk in the past, he is worth more to the Packers than he is to other teams. So for the fan base to say, I can't believe they took him there, he would have been available in the sixth round. First of all, we don't know that. It's an ignorant thing to say, and basing that off of media mock drafts or media scouting reports who are scouting from a broad picture standpoint rather than for a specific team standpoint, uh, I think is a bit short-sighted and a bit ignorant. I also just think, too, with DeGuara, he'll have more value to the Packers and to Green Bay than he would to other teams. Um, in New England, as we saw that, took Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech about 10 to 15 picks later. He's a very similar player to DeGuara. So simply saying, well, he would have been there later, that's a huge reach. I don't think carries as much merit. I think that probably has to do more with fans being uh, unfamiliar with DeGuara as a pick or not being a wide receiver or a traditional tight end than it is have to do with him being available later or being a reach. I'm not saying he wasn't necessarily a reach from a talent standpoint. If at pick 94, do I think he was one of the best 94 players in this draft class? Probably not. But he may have been one of the 94 most valuable picks to the Green Bay Packers in this draft. And when Brian Gutekunst says that he was at the top of their board at that pick, I'm pretty inclined to agree with him that they may value that fullback position or the traits that DeGuara has over another wide receiver that, again, I think the Packers avoided picking a wide receiver for the sake of picking one in this very deep draft class rather than just to say we're going to add a body to the room uh, for the sake of it, rather than drafting a player that we have a valuable role for him to fulfill like they do with DeGuara. So to wrap up here, I think that's that's some of the stuff we've learned here. Again, I think the Packers think more highly of their wide receivers than the media or outside does. Uh, at that same point, though, I think it's pretty apparent the Packers were looking to draft one at one point or multiple points in the draft and had the guys they wanted picked out from out from under them which happens sometimes. There's 32 teams, and, and there's different teams that want different players, and sometimes two teams that are close to each other in the draft want the same player, and it just happens where he ends up getting picked uh, prior to him going there. So with that said, I do think it's pretty clear that the Packers do want to become a more run-based team. Uh, if you listen to Sean McVay or Matt LaFleur or Kyle Shanahan or any of these guys who have come from the same coaching tree – they all will say that the run game sets up everything for these teams. You saw what the 49ers did to the Packers in the NFC Championship game, and you saw what the Rams looked like two years ago when Todd Gurley was healthy 
and they were just had that offense cooking. It was all based off of the run game, and I think that's what the Packers want to get to. I think Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst, the longer LaFleur is here in Green Bay, this team will more and more resemble the team that they envision rather than the team that LaFleur inherited and started to mold the scheme to uh, in this first year. So I think that like the Dewara pick, A.J. Dillon, some of those guys adding up on offensive linemen, I think that's more of a reflection of the vision that Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst have for this team moving forward uh, than we probably saw in, in LaFleur's first season as a head coach in Green Bay. So uh, I just want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure to check out the podcast here. It's on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. Uh, Make sure on Apple Podcasts you give a review. Uh, Let me know what you think of the show, whether you like it or don't like it, uh, or other ways that we can improve this show. Uh, I don't know exactly when we'll be back uh, with the uncertain timetable of the offseason for the NFL, uh, but we'll start to take a look here at some of the uh, Packers positions coming forward here as we head into training camp, uh, what those positions could look like, uh, and, and what could be expected moving forward. So uh, thank you again for listening to the Voice Reason podcast.